We're going to get on to accenting today, and this is the one place in which I am going to take quite a different approach to what is in the book. I mean, not just doing it backwards or upside down or inside out or something, but really quite a different approach. Uh, and I've got a little handout for you on this. Uh, Winkleman, would you take one back to the noble operator, please? Okay. I think there should be enough there. <coughs> Now, if you close your books up, good. <coughs> Nature and type of accents. Now, we talked about this a little bit yesterday as far as an introduction, but this is written out here for you now. Greek accents were initially musical, indicating the rise and fall of the voice. So it's kind of like some Mediterranean Norwegians or something like that. <laughs> the acute accent indicated that a syllable was pronounced with a rise in the pitch of the voice, so logos. While the circumflex, that those of you and the number of people who knew French, there's circumflex, you have that same kind of emotion, indicated a semicircular up and down movement of the pitch, so you would have a word like doulos. In modern Greek, and for our purposes, they indicate only which syllable is to be stressed. This move from a pitch accent to a stress accent was moving, it was moving in this direction in the first two centuries before Christ. And it probably was occasioned by a lot of people learning Greek who were not native Greek speakers. Because with the spread of Alexander the Great's army throughout the Mediterranean, the Levant, and all the way back to India, uh, you know, Greek became the so-called lingua franca, or <clears throat> language of commerce and industry. And uh, the lingua franca of uh, the ancient world was Greek. The lingua franca of the ancient world, even in the time of Jesus in the Roman Empire, was Greek, not Latin. And 60% uh, of the slaves in Rome spoke Greek at that time. Um, and the lingua franca before Greek was Aramaic in the Eastern Mediterranean. An example today is the lingua franca of the world today is English. You've got to know English if you're doing the internet, for example. You do not have, uh, for internet addresses and stuff, they're not in Russian. You know, they're in English. So, <clears throat> and by the way, did you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but the official language of all airlines is English. So that when Alitalia lands at Rome, they speak English to each other. 
the official language of the Norwegian Navy is English. So that's what we mean by a lingua franca. <clears throat> and th this really did spread all over the place in Greek. By the way, how many of you have seen the Mel Gibson film, The Passion of the Christ? Okay, now this is the one part of that film that was highly unrealistic. Namely, that Pilate spoke Aramaic to the crowd and at points spoke Latin to the crowd and he spoke Latin to Jesus. That would, that, that's simply, I, I have no idea. I know they had this Jesuit who was their technical advisor. I have no idea what this guy was thinking. Uh, <clears throat> because the fact of the matter is, they would have all spoken Greek. Now, that's not to say that at home the Jews weren't speaking Aramaic. Of course they were. But if you're dealing with the governor, he is not speaking Aramaic to the people. He's speaking Greek. And he'd certainly be speaking Greek to Jesus. He wouldn't be speaking Latin to Jesus. At one point, he's that's a very interesting part of that film. At one, you know, he's speaking Aramaic, and then, at, then he breaks into Latin to the people and so on like that. It was very odd. But I think what happened there in that film, quite frankly, was this, that uh, <clears throat> they wanted to have Latin traditional phraseology for some famous sayings, like quid est veritas, what is truth, you know, or ecce homo, below, behold the man, because you see that all the time on paintings and stuff like that. I mean, there's no way he's going to be saying that to the crowd. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, so that, that was, uh, you know, one portion that would not have been realistic to the way the Eastern Mediterranean would have run its linguistic system. I mean, as a matter of fact, let me just say this to you people. In all probability, the people of Palestine, including Jesus, would have been triglossic, not trilingual, triglossic, and that means the following, that they spoke three languages, and they spoke them essentially in different social and cultural settings. Now, Adafris, you maybe have a situation like this in Africa, all right? They would have spoken Aramaic at home, they would have spoken Hebrew for religious instruction, and they would have spoken Greek to outsiders for commerce and as a general lingua franca. So the notion that up in Palestine, uh, I'm sorry, up in uh, Galilee, <clears throat> around Capernaum or whatever, um, <coughs> Matthew's a tax collector. He's dealing with, or the fishermen, with the fishermen trade. They're dealing with customers, the Romans and all that. They're dealing in Greek. They go home, and you can see this. Talitha kum, little girl arise, Jesus says, in the house. He's speaking Aramaic at that point. Um, so I think the pronunciation and all that was affected by this large-scale spread of Greek as a lingua, lingua franca. 